1: And, and i want to continue in our series that we've been in for a while we've been in a series called grown-up prayers and we've been looking at the psalms and i want to tell you like a very simple story that made me think about this series more and more this summer uh, a few weeks ago thanks guys a few weeks ago uh, we were planning like a little vacation before i went off to, uh, to teach abroad and thanks Henry. and uh our, our youngest son was really concerned that my wife was getting sick Uh, For some of you know, Bev was sick over the summer, and it's probably because she's from Ontario, and people from Ontario, whatever. Uh, So she was—there's (laughs) going to be a lot of those, guys. There's going to be a lot of those. (laughs) Uh, And she was very, very sick, and one day, out of the blue, our youngest son turns to Bev, my wife, and says, Mom, I'm really praying for you. And we were like, this is amazing. And and after he said, yeah, because I don't want to cancel our vacation— So I had a moment where I'm like, that's exactly why we're doing a series on grown-up prayers. It's exactly right there. Because so many of us, if we're not careful, we think of prayer as something that we do because it's really about us. It's something that we care about, but we never grow in our prayers to realize that prayers are meant to shape us to see our lives as part of something bigger than just our own lives. And no matter where you're at, I think when you start to learn how to pray, that's how you learn how to pray you have a problem, a concern, and you just pray and you're like, God, fix my life, fix my marriage, fix my finances. And then as you grow up, and I've said this before, if you're still praying the way you started to pray when you were young, we have a big problem. We are called in reading our Bible, in growing in our faith, to grow in how we pray. And as we grow in how we pray, we also grow in how we understand who God is. We realize that when we're praying, at times, God invites us to be silent. Or maybe God invites us to see what we're going through, not as something that He's going to fix, but as something that He's going to shape something new in us because of that difficult thing we're going through. So maybe for you, prayer is still like a new idea, and you're growing in this area. And maybe you've, you've missed some of this teaching series, but one of the easiest ways to learn how to pray is to read the Psalms. Because the Psalms are these ancient prayers that we have in the Bible, that Christians have always come back to, even the Jewish people often come back to, and say these prayers are so true about who God is, and they're so honest about who we are. They point to some of the most real, honest things about who we are, because sometimes we, we struggle with being honest about who we are. Like, we live in a world that just teaches us to lie about who we are, pretend we're someone else, you know, just tell a story in a way where we always sound right, and all of these things, but the Psalms don't let us do that. The Psalms actually remind us that in our hearts, there are times when we are very selfish. In our hearts, there are times when we're not really trusting in God. In our hearts, there are times when we want God to do what what we want. And if He doesn't do that, well, we're not sure we want to believe in God anymore. All of these things are in the Psalms. And today, I want to look at a Psalm that's a really, really difficult Psalm. It's a really challenging Psalm for a few reasons. And I'm going to give you like it all up front so you know. Psalm 78 is a difficult, difficult Psalm to read. And I picked it on purpose because I feel like we're halfway through the series and by now you should be better at kind of reading a psalm that's a bit longer. I just want to let you know this that I've seen this that one of the signs that you're growing up is that you can focus on something longer. If you have kids you know this. If you have small kids and every five seconds they're off to something else right but being an adult and growing up is being able to stay with something just a little longer and you might notice even as I'm preaching the need to check your phone. The need to look for something. They need to be distracted. They need to like, you know, how long is this going? I'm kind of hungry. Like, all these things. So one of the things that I want to do is in this sermon is just take us through a bit of a longer psalm and see how you're doing with that. See how much it's stretching you. Psalm 78 is a psalm about God's blessing and about the future because it talks about God providing for the next generation. And in the middle of this psalm is all of these verses about the people of God making a mess of God's blessing. I think about this so many times, that some of the most important things we do is we learn to keep trusting God when our lives are going well. Because a lot of times in my life, when things are, when I'm struggling, I turn to God. But when things are going great, I don't know, I'm doing fine. And this psalm kind of captures all of these things together. Psalm 78 takes about nine minutes to have read out loud. You know how I know? Because I came up, I found this amazing tool on the internet. Have you ever heard of Okay, There's this amazing tool on YouTube that you can pick some of the psalms that you want to learn, and you hit play, and you could pick even like there's a person with a British accent, a person with an accent from Toronto, Toronto whatever, people from random places, and they will read the psalm for you. And with this psalm, I did that. I, I went for a walk, and I just hit play, and I just heard this prayer being read. And I thought many Christians for thousands of years would have heard this psalm like this. It takes about nine minutes to hear it. And as you hear it being read, at different points, all you want to say is, how is this possible? God is so good to us, and they disobeyed him. And you're like, how is this possible? And I thought about my own life. I thought, maybe is that a habit in my own life, where God has been so good to me, and I've yet to really fully surrender to him. I've yet to really fully commit to him, and yet he's good again, and the people are disobedient again. So I want to begin by just showing you the beginning of the psalm because it starts in a beautiful way. Psalm 78, right at the beginning, it says this. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable, which is important. I will utter hidden, or some translations say dark sayings or hidden things, things from old. This is kind of the beginning of this prayer. That the prayer is an invitation for us to see God at work in dark and disobedient places. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. It's not that God is making things dark. It's that even as the people are living in a season where they're going to be disobedient, where they're going to want to do things their own way, where they're going to neglect being so appreciative of God's blessing, God is at work teaching them some things that they're only going to understand really later in life. And so as as you're taking notes, I'm going to try to show you different sections of this psalm because obviously we're not going to read it all, but I'm going to show you sections so maybe you would kind of say, God, some of the things I see in this psalm, some of the things of this prayer actually are things I see in my own life, struggles that I still have, times where I've misunderstood what it means to pray and to trust you and to let you really transform my life. Times when I've, you know, just moved on. God's blessed me. Things are great. I'm going to live for myself. And when things are bad, I have my excuses that, oh, look how bad the world is. Could there really be a God? All of those things are part of this psalm. But then the beginning happens with God reminding the people of how much He loves them. And in the Bible, when God does this, He points to children and to the next generation. This is what we're told. So beautiful. Things we have heard and known, you're about to hear them, things we have heard and known Things our ancestors have told us, we will tell the next generation. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. This is like... God saying, you have no idea. I'm going to bless you so much that you're going to have children, and then you're going to have grandchildren, and then I'm going to bless you again. And all I want you to remember is remind every generation of how messed up your life was before you met me. Remember to tell them that. Write down whatever you have to write down, but remember to tell them that until you met me and experienced my love, your life was never the way it should have been. Your life was never healed and whole until you met me. And, and the, the psalmist uses these words that I think for us are hard words to hear, the words of laws and statutes. Statutes, it's not a word you hear all the time, unless you're studying law or something, right? But they're these governing principles for how the people are to live their lives. Now, I want to tell you a bit of a confession about my own life. Growing up in church, I always wrestled with, like, how to understand the Bible, and is that for me, and how do I read the Bible? And I grew up in a church very lovely church, good people, love the Lord, but they often use the phrase that is very painful, I'm going to repeat it, that, you know, to follow God is not about rules, it's about relationships. Maybe you've heard that before, or maybe somebody said that to you before, never say that again, okay, because it's annoying and it's not true, okay, it's completely not true. Actually, the Bible is actually teaching us that there's a God who loves us so much that can give us rules and can help us have good relationships. Can you imagine the God could do both? Yeah, he could. And he does. And if you don't learn that, when you read psalms like this, you're like, wait a second. I thought God was about love and grace and relationships. Why are there all these laws and statutes that people have to pass on to their kids? And then you quickly say, well, those are not for us. That's just for Israel at some point. And then you tell people, no, no, actually Jesus fulfills the law in a certain way, but he gives us different parameters for how to live our lives. And anyone who's ever had a healthy relationship in your life You know that healthy relationships require guiding principles, guidelines, parameters, all of those things. So can we just just agree together to learn that we're going to say that when God calls us to grow, He's able to give us both loving guidelines and a deep relationship. God can do both. Because I think we simplify the Christian faith in such a, a simple thing so we can put a bumper sticker on our car or just say, no, no, it's not about rules, that's what other people, no, no, it is. There's guiding rules that God gives his people. You know why? Because he knew we would need them. That's why. He knew we would need guidelines for how to live our lives. Now, I want to show you something so important about the Old Testament to help you understand this. In the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, this is many of the stories and the prayers that Jesus himself would have grown up learning and reading. There's really there's more than three, but in general, there's three kinds of laws, three types of laws that you learn about. And I just want to show them to you on the screen, okay? They're just important for you to understand them. They're civil laws. These were laws that apply to having a civil society. We experience this a little bit in our culture. Uh, one of the most important laws that we have in our society is we all know what to do when we see a red light, correct? And we know that if we don't obey what a red light means, by the way, just we're all on the same page. What, what do we do at a red light? We stop. Thank you very much, Okay. You only know how important that is when you visit places that don't have what? Red lights. And you're like, hey, guys, have you ever thought about lights here? Might help. Uh, we don't need them. I'm like, yeah, you might need them. Somebody just killed a donkey. All right. So they're, they're just, these are just civil, civil laws. Now, what's important in the Bible is that these civil laws were connected to the story of the people of God. They actually came from the Bible they're not just like laws of the government. They're actually governing laws that God gave his people. Very simple, civil laws. Then there's worship laws. Sometimes in some Bibles, you might see it, they're called ceremonial laws. If you really are struggling to sleep and you want to kind of explore these ceremonial laws, you can read the book of Leviticus. It's amazing. It is amazing, actually. It's beautiful, but it is hard for us to read it and feel like, what does that mean? I can't wear clothes with two types of material. Like, what? what? I'm kind of confused. These are worshiping guidelines and laws for the people. I think of an example. When the people went to the temple, they had guiding laws for how they were to act in the temple. These are worship laws. Now, if you know your Bible well, you want to take notes, Jesus will follow these guidelines he sometimes will heal someone and he'll say, hey, hey, before you go tell anybody, before you post this on Instagram, before you go see your mother and your grandmother, go to the temple and show the priest first. Jesus is following those laws. He's very aware that there's a practice of how this happens. Now, he's going to be the great fulfillment of all of these laws, but he's, he's pointing people to them. The last one, moral laws. This is probably the one we know the best. The Ten Commandments fall into that category. Okay, These are laws that in a sense, still in some ways apply to us today, and we read them, we understand them in deeper ways, but they're still important. We think of, like, moral laws that apply. Okay, if you don't know any of this, it can be hard to even pray the Psalms, because you're like, oh, this is weird laws. We're all about relationships, and we don't. No, no, we're, remember, there's these guiding laws, and there is relationships, and they can be held together in a wise way. Now, let me just tell you something important. Christians started to read these psalms and these prayers after Jesus was with them, and they realized something beautiful. They realized that Jesus had fulfilled many of these laws, especially the civil laws and the ceremonial laws. They kind of didn't apply to the people of God anymore, especially if people were not Jews, right? And if you want to see Christians fight about stuff, that's a good thing to read about on the Internet. Christians like arguing, this law still applies, that law doesn't apply, all this stuff. But I want to just remind you, go back to the previous slide. As we help the next generation say yes to God, this prayer begins with a reminder that we have to make room for when they don't understand any of the laws of God. When they struggle with like, why did God say this? Or why is this happening in the world? And how can God love us if this is happening? You know what we don't get in, in these first few verses? We don't get an answer on how to deal with that all the time. I'm a parent... I've been a pastor with young people. You just heard Willie and Jess share about student ministries. We are committed as a church to make room for many of the next generation who have important questions. And some of those questions are not questions you've ever asked. And so when you hear them, they will make you nervous. I remember early on asking those questions and wondering about the Bible and wondering about, you know, what do we really believe about God and evil in the world and other religions. And I unfortunately grew up in a place where, like, You don't ask those questions. You just move on and pray for Jesus to come back, right? And so I think we're going to have to be open to understand that the Bible says we have to tell and teach the next generation of how beautiful it is when we begin to trust God and His guiding principles for our lives. And the great example of this will obviously be Jesus, because Jesus will model this type of life. But I also want to show you that over the next few months and as we go into the fall, We're going to give you opportunities at different times in our church gathering, not only Sundays, but midweek, to step into a Bible study, to come to a class, to just come and and just learn with us as we explore hard things. And you know what? It's going to be easy to be like, I'm too busy, not into that. But can I just encourage you even now, as you start to hear of new things coming, would you just prioritize to learn with us? I've been reading this book and I've gone back to this book over the summer. It's called Leaving Christianity. And it's a book that is mapping one of the best books out there that maps about how the next generation is slowly walking away from believing in Christianity, from going to church. And if you don't believe me, just you can pick up this book. But you can go to the quote, just this quote. The research shows that many youth and young adults haven't even been exposed to Christianity. The result is a religious landscape that we have never seen before. Can you imagine... That we have a whole generation in our midst that they don't even know enough about Christianity to not like it. I tell this to people all the time. I shared it with some people even at the park yesterday about people wrestling with what does it mean to be a church in a secular culture in a place where people don't care about religion or care about God. I'm like, let me just, just tell you like the truth. People in a secular culture don't care about us enough to even think about us there nobody's like waking up at 10 o'clock thinking i should post something mean about church no they're just sleeping we are dealing with a movement that we have never seen before where the next generation doesn't even have a reference point for what it what the christians even believe like why do you guys get together like this this is weird why do some people raise their hands when there's music playing that's so weird what kind of questions do you have what kinds of things are you bubbling up that god's saying you know you should grow in your understanding of this this is one of the things we want to learn how to do. And that's not because we want to be seen as, oh, we're a really smart church, and we're really engaging with the culture. It's not because we want to be like, oh, we're great parents, and you suck as parents. That's not why we're doing this. The psalmist tells us in the prayer why we want to do this. This is what it says, so profound. He says, then the next generation, they will put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Whenever you see a prayer that talks about the past generation as being rebellious and stubborn, you should just pause. This is a big thing to read in an ancient prayer. Can you imagine ever being at an event with your family, a 50th anniversary, a 60th anniversary of your grandparents, and being up there and saying, hey, we're going to have our grandson or granddaughter say something nice, and you say, God, please never make me rebellious like my grandparents. Can you imagine doing that? How many of you in a culture where people will, like, whip cake at you? Right, and be like, what did you just say? At the party? At the restaurant? You said what? It's like a no-no almost in every culture. You don't speak bad about old people. You don't speak bad about the elders. You don't say something inappropriate about those who came before us. But in this psalm, I told you, it's about this honesty, and it, it makes this turn that says you need to learn that there has been times in the history of God's people when they have been so disobedient that they have failed to remind their kids and the next generation what their life was like before they met God. This is the most dangerous thing for people, especially people who've been Christians for a long time. People who've kind of always believed and we've always kind of been this and and forget like, what was your life like before Jesus said, I love you and I'm about to make all things new? What was your life like? What was your life like before you understood that all the promises of the world mean nothing in light of who Jesus is? What was your life like? What was your life like before you understood that God was telling you to live fully for Him and to not believe the lies of the culture that if only you had more, you would be happy? What was your life like before that? The next generation will need us, parents, friends, grandparents, aunts, uncles, to remind them and to say, let us tell you how beautiful it was when we started to understand the teachings of God and how they set us free. They set us free. We never want you to get confused. Everything that you see, it's not even us. It was God who was with us. Don't believe that this is us. This is so important to learn this, to surrender to this. I felt that even just this week. Bev and I felt that this week because we had our 20th wedding anniversary this, week, this past week, and it was uh, really, yeah. Was, I, have a, I have a great wife, and my wife puts up with a lot, so she's, she's wonderful. And, and we were just celebrating, and this, maybe you do this, you know, you have milestones in your life, and you just talk about, hey, remember that, or remember this, or remember that. 20 years is, is not long, but it's long enough, you know, you just feel that. And as we were talking, we often were saying to ourselves, like, I don't really remember that time, or I don't remember when we lived in Alberta, or I don't really remember that, you know. And I started to realize something, that the further you move from these important markers, the easier it is to forget. The further you move away from the day that Jesus said, you are mine, the harder it is to remind your kids and the next generation of how important that is. And if you read this prayer, you'll see in the next few chapters, that's exactly what is going to happen. That in the next few verses, you're going to see examples of how God was so good to his people. Because this is like a really long prayer and a long psalm, what I did is I I, I kind of took a screenshot to just show you a whole section of it so you can see it. And you'll see it on the screen, just the next section. This is a section from verse 10 to verse 16 of God reminding the people. The the prayer is the the person writing the prayer. We don't really know who it is. Someone who knew David probably, right? Writing the prayer and remembering the wonders of God. And you look at this in your own Bible. Maybe you want to take notes and this will help you. The first two yellow lines are what the people did. They forgot, they refused to live by the law, and they just kind, of, just kind of said, we're doing great, we're fine now. And then it says all the things that God did to them. He did all these miracles. He divided the sea, he guided by fire, he provided water when they were in the desert, all of these amazing things. It's just a beautiful thing. And this, you read it and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And if you keep reading, the psalm is going to talk about these different times when God was so good, so good to his people. So kind to them. They struggled. They prayed. God answered their prayers. He did all of these things. What kinds of things has God been doing in your life? This summer, what are things that God has maybe shown you that I've been with you all along? I've been providing for you when you thought you were alone. I've been caring for your kids, and I've been providing for your kids when you thought they were kind of off on their own. What are some of the things that God has been doing now, I, I, I used to believe that if only we had enough miracles in the church, the next generation, they would believe. I went to a church like that when I was young. Every weekend was miracle conference something, 2,000 something. You come up and people on the floor and healed and come up and somebody, you know, was Lord, tell us how, and, and God heals people. And, you know, we believe God does do that. But this psalm, this prayer tells us something very sad. It tells us that even after people have seen the goodness of God, they just walk away. You know what that means? It means that one of the biggest challenges we face as a church, one of the biggest challenges we will face as parents and as as friends, is not how bad the world is. is as as disobedient as the church is. Because this psalm has nothing to say about the big bad world yet. It's just saying people who saw the goodness of God there walked away. Away! They walked away. And then it just it's probably the most difficult verse to read, right almost in the middle, It says, "In spite of all of this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. We're only halfway. I was walking, and I was listening, you know, my, my, my prayer. And we got, I got to this point, I heard this part, and I was like, come on. I think my neighbor was like, that's weird, what the heck's that guy listening to? Whatever. I was like, in the moment, so deep in this, I'm like, they did what? They saw God do all of these things, set them free, provide everything they needed. And then they're like, yeah, we don't need God anymore. Like, we're going on vacation, we don't care. And I'm like, wait a second. I've done that. I know some of you are tempted to do that. That, you know, you go through a few seasons and business is good, family's good, and you just move on, whatever. We'll come back in a year and act spiritual. Nobody cares. Read Psalm 78. God's like, I showed you these things so that you would live in such a way that your life would be guided by my laws and my principles for you and that your kids and your grandchildren would know that your life was a mess until you met me. What did you teach them? What did you tell them? You know how hard this is going to be? I meet families and parents now that are like, I'm not going to tell my kids what to believe. They can believe whatever they want. I'm like, okay, you've never read the Psalms. Okay, that's really good. We live in a culture that's like, you know what? Uh, I don't want to maybe press them. my like, You better figure out what you're going to pass on to your kids because Netflix and every business is spending a billion dollars to figure out what they're going to sell to your kids. Now, am I saying do we have to force our kids? Never. Am I saying we have to pressure our kids? Never. But if we think that our kids in the next generation are just going to find their way by mistake into the goodness of God, we're we're fooling ourselves. They're going to need to know from us, from you, from a friend, of how Jesus changed everything, how God began to heal everything, and how messy life was before they said yes to God. But the people, they just kept sinning. They just kept doing their thing. I think of a time when Jesus is teaching in the New Testament. And I think it's kind of a picture of what's happening in the hearts of the people even in the New Testament. If you want to write this down, maybe you want to read this later this week. Matthew chapter 13. There's a whole chapter of Jesus being at work, healing, doing different things, teaching, and the people are like this guy. When this guy teaches, oh my goodness, like people are losing their minds. And you get to the end of Matthew 13, and this is what you read. And he, Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Can you imagine how profound that would be? That God is in your midst. The presence of God and everything that Jesus is doing is right there. But people's hearts are so distracted by other things that it says that Jesus, after a few miracles, he really stops really doing the things that he was going to do. Why? Because miracles alone will not help you say yes to God more miracles and more wonders and more things don't help you realize that you need to have a surrendered life, that I need to have a surrendered life to God. This is a good lesson for us when we pray. This is actually one of the reasons I think God doesn't bless some of us, because we are not at a place in our relationship with God where we can even handle God's blessing, because the minute he'll bless us, we'll just go on and live for ourselves. And that's exactly what we learn in Psalm 78 starts to happen in the people. They start to kind of just go do their own thing. They want to move on. And this is what we're told next. It even gets more profound. And I did it again with just a screenshot. You can kind of see this. God gives us this image that now wonders didn't work. Now they're going to experience the wounds of disobedience. The wounds of disobedience. Just some of the language here that God starts to use. Young men, Just then, young woman, and then priests, and then widows. It goes through these different parts of people in society. You have the, the men who are like the future. Fire devours their young men. Probably implies that they go to war, they go to battle. No wisdom from God. They just die. Young women have no marriage song. Isn't that a nice way of saying there's no future, you're never having kids? Like, there's nothing now. The priests... They fell by the sword. No spiritual wisdom from God through the priests. And the worst, the widows are silenced. Even the widows stop praying to God. That's how bad it gets. Now when I read this, I was like, that kind of sounds mean. Like I thought we believed in a loving God. And you know, this, this is what happens when we don't learn that the Bible gives us a picture of God saying to his people, if you continue to live this way, this is likely going to happen. You will begin to do things that will destroy you and I will slowly let you learn the hard lessons from those wounds. It's incredibly hard. I think of a time in my life where this happened to me. Where I kind of was stubborn, I was in different relationships, I was doing certain things, and good friends who loved me came and said to me, Dom, we're not sure. Like, these choices seem out of, like, character for you. Like, you say you're a Christian, you say you love God, like, is this this... God will want you to do. And I'm like, don't judge me. You don't know me. You ever try that? It's good. You should try it. People leave when you tell them that. You don't know me. You don't judge me. And God kept bringing these people, and I ignored them, and I paid for it. And I had a choice. I had a choice to say, you see, what if God loved me, he would have protected me. And I remember thinking, God did protect me. He brought people to help me, and I ignored them. Psalm 78. You see God saying, I reminded you, like, the beginning, like, the next generation and the future generation, you should have been telling them about the exodus, about how I was with you, and you ignored all those things. The wonders didn't get you, now the wounds maybe will get your attention. You have these tensions that you feel, the pain of this, Over the summer, I I had a chance, maybe you've done this, I had a chance to watch a show on Netflix. I I don't watch, like, a lot of Netflix stuff, unless it's Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol is my thing to go to, if you know what that is. All right. You're welcome, Paw Patrol people. Uh, But I I watched this show on a football player named Johnny Manziel. This is something called Johnny Football. And if you've seen it, it's one of the sports documentaries of, like, great athletes. And at a certain point, kind of near the beginning, you realize, like, their life looks like it's going to get a bit messy. And if you watch this documentary, it reminds me in some ways of the themes that you read in Psalm 78. The themes that you get when you see a young person gifted, charismatic, athletic, great family, all of these things. And as he starts to play football, they start to say to him, this guy is like, like an elite football player. And, you know, and you have these moments where the coaches were like, you know, he sometimes doesn't listen, but he's good enough. It's going to be fine, you know, and it keeps going. And, and at one point, I remember, they give him the book to study what he has to study for the next game. And he talks about how he would just throw it away. He's like, "What? I don't read books. So you're like, okay, I have a feeling this is getting worse by the minute in this show, right? And you keep going, and you feel the weight of all these good things beginning to die. I don't want to give you the spoiler alert, but at one point he even thinks about taking his own life. And you're like, wow. Now again, we have these shows, we can watch them, but even before Netflix ever happened, the Bible was pointing us to the ways of life that God gives us and the ways that we should live if we really trust Him. And not only that, that the next generation is at stake. One of the things I was thinking about, even just to name the sermon, is what it means to be those who pray to prepare for God's blessing. Who pray so that we're ready to understand God's goodness in our lives. That we would share this with others in a way that reminds them we've made some mistakes. And we want you to know those mistakes. Would, would you just not make the mistakes we made? You read this in the psalm. The last eight verses of this psalm, do something nobody expects. In the last eight verses of this psalm, you get the moment where God does something that is about to shock everybody. And I'll read it for you and then I'll explain it and the the, the band can come back up. It says this, Then he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah. He chose David his servant, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillful hands. He led them. This is the last section of these verses. As you get to the end... You're like, what does God do with these people? And the prayer, the person writing this prayer says, we realized that God was doing something we never expected. That God was about to prepare us for a new king and a new season from a new tribe that we didn't anticipate. And if you're familiar with the tribe of Judah, and if you're familiar with the language of the line of David, you know it's exactly the line from which Jesus will come from. This is why even today we sing songs that say Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That God begins to tell his people that your hearts are so broken that even with all of the wounds and all of the wonder I've shown you, you need someone else. You need someone who's going to hold together both the glory of God and the wounds of God and show you a different way. Now this psalm ends when David kind of becomes king. You know what these people don't know yet? These people don't know that David is going to have a lot of integrity, but he's going to soon follow all of the same mistakes that other kings had followed. We know this. In a sense, we read the psalm. We know more than they even knew at the time. But it's such a good reminder for us this morning. If God had to show you what it's going to take for you to pass on the faith to the next generation for what it means for you to be ready to receive his blessings in your life and not just like walk away and pretend like, I don't really need that. What is it going to take for us to learn this lesson? One of the things we can do is read this psalm again. Just read it this week. It's take a bit long. If you don't like reading, have someone read it to you. But I'm going to have a stand, and I'm going to ask you to think about this as we sing this song. I want you to think of two words. You don't have to tell anyone these words. I'm just going to ask you to think of two words. So this is between you and God. As we sing and before we close, I want you to think of two words. I want you to think of two words that represented your life before Jesus changed everything. Two words. Two words that would would be part of the way you would tell the next generation. The way you would say, God was so good to us. Two words that would capture who you were before and what God is doing now. So if anybody asked you, you'd say, let me tell you. Let me tell you how God stepped into this moment of our lives. That we would not be here if it wasn't for Him. You know what, if we learn to do that, the next generation will not hear that as rules. They will hear it as the wounds of a person who's learned to trust God. And even when we were stubborn, we told others, don't be stubborn like we were. Don't. As we sing this song, think about your two words.
0: His glory
1: about five weeks before summer's over. What kinds of things will we do to remind us of God's goodness and God's presence in our lives? What can we do that would help the next generation know that we've made some mistakes and that God had to find us in our mess and begin to heal us? You know, for some of you, It's as simple as just going for a walk with your kids, and saying, "Let me tell you a story about where Mom and Dad, when our marriage was really struggling, and Jesus taught us to forgive each other." That's. I have this thing I often do with couples, you know, when they're struggling, and I think it's helped me in my marriage. Twenty years, I'm like a specialist now, right? We're often when you're in a conflict and you're feeling just sin and anger and all these things, I often will ask each person and say, which part do you bring to this problem? Like, what's the problem that you bring? Like, what have you done to mess things up? And it's so funny. You're like, I've done nothing. They're just a loser. It's a reflex. I know that. Whenever there's a problem, it's never me. It's never you. This psalm is such a gift to us of the honesty of God saying, the people I set free, they continued to ignore me. Be careful of the habits and the patterns you have in your home and in your life that tell your kids that God is just there on the side when we're in trouble. Cultural Christianity, when we need to say, ah, of course we're Christians, read Psalm 78 the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we have this beautiful picture of people worshiping Jesus. It's just profound. The Bible tells us that there's elders and there's angelic beings and you can't even like wrap your head around how amazing it is. It says this, you'll see it on the screen. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. If you read Psalm 78, you know what that means. You know that the end of that psalm is the beginning of the promise that one will come who is even greater than King David. And he will be the one who shows you the wonders of God, who shows you the wounds of a God, and who invites you to worship God. What will you do? what will you do? I hope you see the pattern that today God's calling us to be those who really, really worship God with everything that we are. Let's just pray. Jesus, we thank you. For we know and we believe the scriptures that remind us that while we were still sinners, while people were still detesting you, you loved them and that you love us and I think of people in this room, maybe those watching online, feeling that their life is too messy for you to love thank you for Psalm 78 that reminds us that even in the messy, broken ways that we ruin things you have a plan that's much deeper much more beautiful and is always forgiving I pray that we would maybe this morning just commit to confess together the ways that we have failed to share with others how you are making things right in our lives. How easily it is for us to be those who want you to bless us and we soon move on to our own ways. In these next few weeks, as we think about the season for us here, as we think about just the transition of the fall and school, Would you help us to be those who recommit deeply and remembering the lessons of Psalm 78 that even miracles sometimes do not help us surrender fully to you? Holy Spirit, would you just call us to a deeper place? I pray for those this morning maybe who are struggling, overwhelmed, feeling alone, that they would know Jesus that you have a strength that they have not tasted of yet. May they know that there's a new life that you can provide when they just surrender. Go with us now and may the next generation stir in us a desire to teach, to tell, to instruct, and to encourage so that they too would say yes to you and your ways. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, before uh, you go, everyone, just want to mention we have a prayer team here that is always available if you want to talk to someone or pray. Make sure you say hi to Willie and Jess. And we're really, really excited to see you Friday night as we pray together and kind of help you prepare for the fall. Please make it a priority to be together as we pray. God bless everyone. See you soon. See you online.